Expanded Thinking is a new podcast produced by Talking Words. I'm your host, Walter Mason. And in this special eight-part series of conversations with writers, creatives, and spiritual practitioners, I'll be introducing you to some remarkable guests whose powerful ideas and extraordinary stories will inspire you to live a more fulfilling and more expansive life. In this week's episode, I'm chatting to Andres Engracia, magician, mystic, and oracle card creator about leading a magical life. Andres has been exploring the esoteric since his teenage years, and these days he describes himself as a ceremonialist and clairvoyant medium. He is the creator of several oracle card decks, including the saints and mystics reading cards and the pure magic oracle. Today, we're going to talk about fairies, the earth mother, and how to lead a magical life. Welcome, Andres. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me here. So glad to have you here. I have loved your work since your very first deck of cards, and um, I've been dying to talk to you ever since then. And at last, we have this opportunity because you've been away. You've you've been living overseas, and you've just come back to Australia. Yeah, that's right. I was away, and um, I was living in Scotland in the UK before I had to come back down due to COVID. But it's nice to be back home. I'm so glad. And we'll talk about your away time more soon. But first I wanted to ask you something intriguing that I saw in your biography. You describe yourself as a ceremonialist. What's that? For me, my perspective of being a ceremonialist is derived from the shamanic traditions. I really love the practices of honouring moments and key aspects of life as we grow up. And, you know, from... And I don't think there's a lot of thought that really gets placed into those key moments. Like we sit down and we have a birthday party, you know, but if we take away that context that we grow up with now is once we're 18, we go out on the piss, you know, we really sit down, we light a candle, we thank our ancestors. That to me is being part of ceremony. And I do tend to do a lot of my ceremonies in private. and But I have been looking into looking at um, doing uh, marriage mm. ceremonies. I find that really, really fascinating. And it's such an honor to do. But I, most people don't know this. I'm really quite shy. <laughs> so I'm still working through my shyness in order to speak in front of people of that extent. But holding a ceremony like that is really beautiful and yeah, I think it should be incorporated more often into people's thoughts process. That That's what being a ceremonialist is to me. Oh, you know, lovely. Honouring oh, moments. So honouring these key moments in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is something we should do more of, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And did you have the opportunity to do that much in your own life? A little. I think when I was growing up, my mother and I, well, she would force me to do um, ritually almost every night, but specifically Fridays, we would have to sit down and pray to saints and pray to deities and we'd have an altar. And I kid you not, they were excruciating at the time. I hated them. I just wanted to fall asleep because we'd be looking at the candle, we'd be praying and praying. I'm like, I just want to go to my video game. (laughs) (laughs) But it was that she instilled a sense of peace in moments and finding time for yourself and I think that's ingrained in me and that leads into me being a ceremonialist and 
making magic in key quiet times. So, yeah, it's always been around. You know, my life is a lot more hectic now, but I always try and find time to just shut the door, get away from everybody, sit in front of my altar, and just be, you know. I don't have to do the chants yeah. <laughs> in the same way anymore. That's my freedom of yeah. choice, but I like that I can have that moment, yeah. you know, yeah. and venerate. Lovely. Lovely. I love that idea of veneration. I, I think it's something that we don't think about much in the 21st century. No, it's not a, at all. It's almost a word that people are scared of, isn't it? Veneration. Yeah, I think if people have these connotations of like venerating um, spirits or deities and they just think straight away Baphomet, yes. or, which is fine. And I think it's interesting that we all do it in different ways already. Just like in psychic abilities and this realm, people don't realize that we use it on a daily basis, even when, even when we don't classify ourselves as psychic mm -hmm. per se. Mm -hmm. And once you tell them certain things, oh, oh, it's like that, it's that easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In recent years, you've expanded into druidry. Yeah. Which is, which is a really wonderful and surprising thing that I notice about you. Can you tell us about the magical aspects of druidry and how we might all be able to incorporate elements of that in, into our lives? And also how druidry came into your life. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. Druidry came about from a very personal search of my own ancestry, which I'm sure is where a lot of people fall into their own path into it and awakening of that aspect. But when I was growing up, I didn't know my father and I was born in the Philippines, but my mother was... Um, Filipino Spanish with a lot of Spanish influence and as I was growing up I really wanted to understand who my father was but I never got the chance when she passed away I couldn't get that information until ancestry.com oh, wow. <laughs> and then I found this huge um, this huge part of me that was Irish Scottish and I thought okay that's strange I would never have picked that in a million years looking in the mirror would not have I thought oh yeah maybe Maybe the rest of it is Spanish, but no, it was Irish. So that led to me wanting to go back to the UK. Well, when I say go back, it felt like I was going home because everything felt so natural there and I was really accepted and I have friends there too already. But learning the path of Druidry was fascinating because there are three levels in the Druidic path. You've got a bard, you have ovates, and you have the Druid. And most of us in life are at the bardic level. And that's where we have the creators, the singers, the artists, people who study the folklore and myths. Like a lot of us do that already naturally. Whereas the Ovate is the first step where you get to learn actual traditions of ritual practice. But only the Druid can hold master ceremonies for the public. So when you think of or when you Google up ceremonies of the summer solstice or the winter solstice and they're at the Stonehenge and you see those druids, they're the master druids holding the ceremonies. But there will be the rest of the clan around participating in one way or another. And it's fantastic. I have friends who've done the May, um, the Midsummer festivals there and they're, they're passing out the May King and Queen and it looks so fantastic. I missed it last year. Because we had, oh, not last year, year before. I'm still stuck in COVID land. Yeah, yeah, I'm, still stu I'm still shattered from that. But, yeah, 
it was one thing I particularly wanted to see because I had friends in Glastonbury and they have it there when the whole community gets involved. It's beautiful to see when you're looking at it online and you hear about it as well and friends show you photos, but I've yet to be in one directly. I'll get there. <laughs> one day. But what you have done is produced a beautiful set of... Uh what do you call these, mini cards, pocket cards? Yeah, so we call them little mini affirmation cards. Mini affirmation the technical cards. term in the publishing realm of how we produce that ah. series. But I used it as like a mini oracle. And it's called Druid Wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. And so we can all carry a little bit of druidry around in our pockets. Exactly. And the images are yours, is that right? Yes, that's right. They're from all my trip um, and time in the UK, Wales, England and Scotland. So I really wanted to take time and moments like like I mentioned before about in ceremony and sit down in places that felt had power and I would take the photographs and I would channel the words and writings for each place and in my fashion especially in the fashion of bardic realms all of it's in rhyming poem except for the little end prompts there's prompts on what crystal to have or carry a pine leaf for protection I make sure there was something practical to it as well. Oh, I love it. I love that practical elements. Yeah. It's very different from my D Divine Doors deck prior to that, whereas it was doors across the world. Yeah. Because I'm a f I have a fascination of doors. You look at my phone and there's just doors <laughs> and windows and portals, and I think they're amazing. But what I found what was really interesting about that deck was there were so many people who'd been to those places. They're like, oh, I know where that door is. And that was really fascinating to me. So I had that in mind when I was creating Druid Wisdom. Yeah. You've been having profound spiritual experiences since you were a child. Can you tell us more about the shape that these experiences took in your earlier years? Yeah. I had vastly different experiences when I was a child to how I have them now. My first experiences of seeing ghosts were quite horrifying at the time. And I couldn't quite understand it. And I kept it secret because I'd run to my mother and tell her about it and she'd be like, no, 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 no. Even though I think she probably wanted to say more, but without freaking me out as a five-year-old, it was just, no, 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 go to sleep. It was just imagination or she changed the subject. But what was interesting was as I got older and she had cervical cancer, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer when I was um, nine years old. And she passed away when I was 10 and she started bringing faith healers into the home. And so that was really eye-opening to see her connect to the spirituality in a more practical sense instead of just a church or a place and doing prayers. And I thought that was really gratifying because in secret I was cutting out pages from books or writing down things that I had read and made my own grimoire without realising. I just wanted something to collect. I wanted something of my own to collect all these folklores and myths and spells and enchantments. And I don't know where it first started from, but I remember specifically looking in a Reader's Digest magazine and there was an article of people who had had cancer and their outlook on life. And I don't know why I was reading this at such a young age, but it struck a chord with me emotionally, and I felt it, and I think that was a precognition before my mother, you know, in preparing me for that. 
So having experiences on the spiritual level was really from an emotional point of view because I wanted to connect with people and I was really isolated and alone as a child. I didn't have like the the witty banter or the cool clothes. I would be the Matilda of the group with the stacks of books. I would be writing things when I was younger. I'd make my own little magazine pamphlets and people were like, so weird of all that time. <laughs> but, you know, it's again, it's kind of another precognition to me, precognition for me being a writer thinking about it now going I used I remember watching the Adams family values loved the film identified with Wednesday and as soon as the movie finished I went straight to my bedroom and created my own like Toys R Us catalog of like dark toys <laughs> I had like a head chopping board free if you buy this like and I took it to school and be like hey <laughs> yeah that was me <laughs> Oh, a wonderfully weird child. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so y- you had these dark moments as a child, yeah. or just uh, an eye for the offbeat. Anyhow, uh, how about the how about the sunny side? Um, uh, and how does that fit into your life now? Do you do you think of yourself as an optimistic person or as a Ooh. positive thinking person, or? Do you think it's more important that we acknowledge the shadow shadow Oh, I'm definitely acknowledging the shadow type of guy. Uh I think because my life has, I've had my share of darkness in so many ways. My mother passed away when I was 10. I had a best friend who passed away when I was 16. I had another friend of mine passed away when she was 15 years old. Um, There was a lot, a lot of darkness in my town and that realm. And I think that sped up my maturity rate by decades being you know I was living on my own by the time I was 16 years old so I had to lean on my spirituality to get me out of that you know I could have I could have gone a different path I really could have been completely dark inside and really stuck with that but my point of using spirituality like I said before was from an emotional point of view I always wanted to connect with people and find out who they are what they wanted to do in order to find myself that makes sense Mm, mm. yeah so for me I was always open with my spirituality because that was my hook to have people find interest in me outside of my tragedies I didn't want to have to open up by going, oh, I'm Andreas, I live alone. Oh, why? And then talk. You know, it was like, oh, I'm the psychic, now I can read tarot cards, sit down. You know? <laughs> but even as a child, I was reading tarot cards for my friends' parents and I was having co- more conversation with them than my own friends. I just felt I could have that rapport where the language was there, the emotional maturity was there. They could sit down and have that time to speak with me whereas my friends couldn't understand that process. So it became this really interesting discord of who I could have been to who I was growing up to be. So to answer your question, I always have to acknowledge the shadow. Even as I've gotten older, I'm still not perfect. I've made a ton of mistakes. Even in the UK, I had a breakdown during COVID. And it's through having that experience and coming back, I've realized I still have more work to do. I can still be better. I can still be more patient with myself, open and loving. We're always going to have crap days. There's no way to 
escape it or deny that these they happen to us. But if we find ways where we can have strength within ourselves, it doesn't always have to be this positive affirmation because sometimes people use that as a denial aspect. And I'm big on not having that. I used to have a friend who used spirituality as a mask. So it's important to be transparent about who you are. So that's, that's how I go about with my writing process as well. Everything, pure magic oracle, it looks so soft and beautiful and fun. But if you read the text, I hope that people realize that it hits home. I'm asking deep questions and I'm prodding you. I'm turning the key. That's my path. Tell us more about the tarot. Is that um, was it your background and that that made it inevitable that you would become a, a writer of oracle cards? Oh, good question. I think I never knew I was going to be an oracle writer. I'll tell you that straight off the bat. Mm. I thought I was going to be a book writer. Mm-hmm. I felt like having an oracle deck was so up there, mm. and I thought, oh no, I couldn't channel the right words for people to hit. You know, I had that self doubt within me, but. The tarot I've used since high school and it was a way for me to, because again, I was in this raw element of um, maturity and I had this big opening to the universe saying, okay, my mother's passed. What does this all mean? How can I lean on you for support? I really had my world opened up. And so I leaned into that part of mystery, right? So the perfect way to do that was the tarot cards. It was never going to be a pendulum. I found them too boring. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted more than a yes or a no. You know, I wanted to ask myself questions as well. So when I'd read certain aspects of the card, I go, okay, it's not necessarily a negative if it's upside down, but what does that mean for me? How does it reflect? And how can I find more meaning through these connections? Speaking of cards... Your beautiful, pure magic oracle, which I just love using. Uh, And one of the cards that comes up for me all the time, and it doesn't surprise me, is one called the Earth Mother. And um, I'm someone who is very interested in sort of the the feminine divine and um, in in, uh, this, this sort of universal mother principle. But Andres, can you tell us about the energy of the mother and how we can use this to make our lives more fulfilling. Yeah. It's funny you picked that one. That yeah. was one of the yeah. first cards I wrote at that it? deck. Yeah. Wow. I felt it was the most easily accessible one for me because I connect with the plant world as well as the wow. earth realm through druidry and through my own personal self. One of the laneways I walk through is plant spirit medicine. Mm. So connecting and communicating with the spirit of plants for healing on not just a topical or digestive level or aromatherapy, but on a psychic level, you know? And so I work in a crystal shop at the moment, mineralism, and I always tell customers who buy crystals going, they always ask, very good question, where are these crystals from? It's always good to ask and be informed. And a lot of the crystals from Madagascar or Brazil or Australia. And so I like to tell them, Think about not just the crystal and where it comes from, but the land and the plants. That your I think your first deck was the Saints and Mystics reading Yeah, what, the first official deck, yeah. First official deck. Because Fairy Dust was first. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first sort of, well, the first big deck. Yeah, that's right. The first big deck was your Saints and Mystics reading cards, which I just love and I use often oh, in my own teaching. You. This is wonderful. And... Um, 
and it's the saints and mystics. Yeah. And you actually even taught me about a few people that I didn't know about uh, through using those cards. But um, tell me about about the saints. Uh, how, what, what role have they played in, in your uh, spiritual life? Well, it's no surprise that that came through my past and from my mother teaching and raising me in that tradition of honouring the saints. But I included ones that I didn't know of or I was... I wasn't as adept to understanding who they were and their properties or connections to us, like um, Josephine Bakita from yeah. Sudan. There, there was some. There's some beautiful people in history who really captivated mysticism in the world, and they've been overlooked. And I think what's interesting with saints and mystics, I was so passionate about it at the time, and I still am. But that deck is so polarizing. Is it? Yes, especially reading reviews. It's great. I read them, people. I do. <laughs> but it's important to understand that Saints and Mystics isn't about the Catholic system. It isn't about the church. It's about people and essentially us as mystics and what we've learned from people in our lifetimes or beyond. You know, I find with Saints and Mystics, there are a lot of folks that are when it comes to looking at saints because of their own past and their own traumas with it. Yeah. And I think that was one of the key hidden elements of me creating that deck was for people to just look at it from a point of view without having their trauma attached to it and seeing how they can be reintroduced to mysticism within people as spirits and deities and how they can still help us. You know, so really that deck is perfect for altar work and for magical practice because you can sit with Joan of Arc when you need to just shout out and proclaim some truth that you've had held deep within. You can have St. Anthony when you've lost something, you know. I think that was my key thing that I had in my mind when I was writing it. I wanted these to be practical as much as informative. But I think that was, especially when I wrote in the deck Maya Duran, yeah, yeah. and the filmmaker, and yes. I just had such an affinity with her, and I decided to use her energy one day and I go, okay, girl, help me. I want to finish this, this, this in a project. And it just felt like this energy just came through. Yeah. And like, like even now when I think of her, my back goes straight, and I'm like, okay, where do I need to be? What do I need to do? Let's get onto it. Yeah. Right? Meditation and prayer, both or only one, or are they different? <laughs> and and where are they in your life? Ooh, oh, hmm. I have a love hate relationship with meditation, only because my mind is just does not turn off ever. You know, you know those memes now where someone's in the middle of in their bed in the middle of the night and they're like trying to go to sleep and it's like, hey, but all these things of the day before. That's me in a nutshell, 24-7. So I find with meditation, I don't do it traditionally. I will do it in silence still, but more often than not, I'll be washing the dishes or I'll be just doodling or just drawing. They're my forms of meditation. Anything where I can sit down in peace and not think, something that takes me into a sort of trance-like state, that's my meditation practice. My partner has been to Nepal many times, and he has an altar of Mahakala. 
he's got um, Shiva, all these deities in front of us. And we'll sit down and we'll light the candles and we'll do meditation, but it'll be guided with music because we just can't do it in silence. I did do Vispashna. Did you? A couple of years ago. Yeah. And that was eye-opening. And it's intense, man. <laughs> I won't, I didn't know if I'd do it again because it was so excruciating. Not saying that it shouldn't be, it isn't worth it, but I went in blind, yeah. you know? So the first few days you get segregated from male and female. So all the men stick together and they sleep together in like the little cabinets, like you don't cross paths. But then on this, I think on the first day, you're not allowed to look at anyone in the eye. And then you're not allowed to speak. And then in the meditations, you wake up at 3 a.m. to 6, you have breakfast, then from like 7 all the way to lunch, lunch, and then 1, then you go all the way to 9, 10 o'clock at night. It's intense for 10 days. And then by day 3, they're like, okay, we're going to introduce to you a no-moving meditation. So you sit there and not move, as well as being in silence. And it was just... I had nightmares during the whole process, which is inevitably great. I look at nightmares as your subconscious going, hey, we're ready to work and delve on this. This is why we're bringing it to the surface. But I had it so often that I'd had to end up making an excuse to go to the director just to talk. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. So it didn't give you a desire to sit for three hours a day for the rest of your life? Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But it did allow me to have this sense of, okay, I can do that. Yeah. So I can't lie to myself and say if I really need to, mm. that I can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah you realise something in yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, again, that's yeah. the biggest key. That's the biggest takeaway. It's not always – it's not about the bragging rights. It's about no. what you leave with it for yourself that enables you to go, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Andres, apart from the intensity of the 10-day Vipassana retreat, <laughs> have there been other p points along your spiritual journey that you found challenging? <sighs> I don't. There's so many. <laughs> I don't know that there's any that been challenging yeah. in that same intensity, but – in the magnitude of the way that it shook me, like walking up to the Standing Stones in the UK for the first time, yeah. I broke down and cried. You know, I was, again, I'm going to reference another music thing, another art form, but Dermot Kennedy, mm -hmm. um, he had it, I had one of his songs playing in my ears on my, on my phone, and it was just such a moment. And this is at Stonehenge. So yeah, no, not the Stonehenge. No. Was this was in Kilmartin, and oh. Kilmartin used to be like the Edinburgh of Scotland. It was the place where they crowned kings um, of Ireland and Scotland. So there's a, f it's in the deck there as well. There's a mound, and there's still the um, footprint etching in the stone of the kings. We've all got sacred tasks in our lifetimes. Um, the the tasks of learning things, of, of ha having certain experiences, and you've had, you've had many difficulties in your life, and you've had a fascinating life, and you've also had the spiritual tasks, for example, of learning the tarot, of, of approaching the standing stones. Um, what are some of the other sacred tasks that you've undertaken or Ooh. chosen to undertake? You know, 
In terms of sacred task, I do have private rituals that I do at home. And so what most people don't know, unless you're quite close with me, is that I have a few friends in the US and I am fascinated with the culture and history, respectfully, in hoodoo and Haitian voodoo and New Orleans voodoo. I love and I'm fascinated with the history because, as most people know, a lot of the spirits from Haiti then travelled to America and were secretized with the saints as a way for them to still be able to express their religion and their involvement in their spirituality without being caught, you know. And that makes total sense of your fascination with the saints as well. It's sort yeah. Of, because it's, in, it's embracing that part of you as well. Exactly. Mm. I always still find a way to go back around full circle, yeah, yeah. you know. And I'm sure I thought about um, really sacrificing certain things to go to a specific path or mm. religious practice, but it's just not me. Yeah. I like being eclectic. Yeah. I like being a scholar of mysticism and, you know, taking that into my life, yeah. you know, respectfully, of course. Of course. Oh, I hear you there. I hear you there. <laughs> I'm a lifelong dilettante myself. Yes. Moving, trying, experimenting. You're constantly doing these things. Um, and it's so important that we do these things in the pursuit of a spiritual path. But how do we move on after reading, after learning about something? How do we take that next step into action? You know, trial and error. Mm. It really is. I've learnt certain things and then gone back and did the same mistake again. Yeah. And then fixed it up again. It really is a process and I think that's the key of being human is going through the processes and just righting wrongs. You know, I once had um, some people come up to me and say, oh, you know, I've done my spiritual work. Why is this still happening? I don't need to go back. I don't want to relearn. It's like, well, it's not about that. It's not about trying to tick the box and then you moved on from it. Mm. You know, sometimes it really is about just going, let's revisit it again and again because there's something that can still be clearer. Then maybe there's someone else that needs to learn it from the sidelines, from us being that example. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing when I think about a situation that happens to me directly or indirectly and I need to lean on my spirituality to support a better outcome, you know, or a better perspective through it. It's not always about sometimes getting it right. It's just about sometimes being as strong while the wind is blowing all around you. Yeah. Yeah. Andres and Gracia, one last question yeah. that I like to ask all of our guests What's one thing our listeners can all start doing today to live a more expansive life? I think just being truthful to yourself, always looking for something, always try to look for something to pull you into a better place of being, especially during COVID. We're all, I think, now still trapped from that trauma of seeing the world suffer, seeing people pass away so quickly and for us, having a great mental health support system is key, whether it's friends or whether it's family, whether it's your pet, 
find a way where you can always have a support system and that sense of community can help you build up to be better and stronger. It's really hard to do this on our own. And so this is why I, I always just say just try and reach out to people, you know, especially in the spiritual community where we're sometimes so alone in this field and we want to make connections and it's hard now with social media. Everyone just jumps online. No one really does groups anymore. And even with COVID, that's kind of out as well. So that doesn't mean that it, those things aren't still valuable enough for us to try and recreate and reconnect back to it, to one another. Because the point of human life is to connect and interact so we can grow in love together. That Andre. would be my takeaway. Perfect, Andres. Oh, well, I'm so glad I reached out to you. Thank you very Thank much you. for being here Thank with us. Thank you for having me here. Bless hey. you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Expanded Thinking. To find out more about Andre's oracle cards, please visit the links in our show notes. This was our final episode of the podcast. My mind has been expanded, and I hope yours has too. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a review. Expanded Thinking podcast is hosted by Walter Mason and produced by Talking Words. The podcast is recorded on Gadigal land. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging.